Please remain standing as we come to the preaching passage for today. Pastor Moody's gonna be finishing up the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we're gonna be in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. You may sit down. Well, as we come now to God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer together. Our Lord God, we uh, do thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we pray now, Lord, that you would open our minds to receive it. Uh, Give us clarity of thinking. Uh, Lord, give me clarity of speaking. Help me to explain it clearly. Uh, Order our minds uh, around your truth, Lord, and also order our affections around your truth. Help us to feel in accordance with what is true to the heights and depths of your love and of your peace. And Lord, so reordered in in mind and heart, Lord, help us then to communicate uh, this word to others, uh, particularly this Easter season, we pray, uh, but also, of course, in an ongoing way. And so we pray these things For Jesus' glory and in his name, amen. Well, friends, as Pastor Eric Channing already indicated, this is uh, the last in our series in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, Paul, uh, let me remind you, has been writing uh, to uh, this church in Thessalonia. It's a church that he has recently planted, and uh, it has experienced some significant suffering. We know this from the story in the book of Acts, that when Paul went there to plant this church, there was a persecution that sprang up against the church, and uh, the missionaries, Paul and the other missionaries, were forced to leave in a hurry. And so, of course, Paul was rather concerned about this church, and uh, he sends Timothy to find out what's going on, and Timothy brings back a good report of what's happening in the church, and so he writes this letter. And as we've seen, the letter is intended to instruct the Thessalonians to live in the light of what they know. And it's a good uh, basic Christian principle 
But when we're faced with uncertainty, we are to live in the light of what is certain, what we do know. And we've seen how Paul has been instructing that, that regard. And we've also seen that there was a part of basic Christian teaching which they did not know. We looked at that last week about which they were uninformed, namely the coming of the Lord, which is another big theme in this letter. And uh, he instructed them about that uh, last week. Well, as he closes this week, Paul has a different theme in mind connected to the overall uh, theme of living in the light of what we know and the coming of the Lord Jesus. And that theme really is around peace. Uh, so verse 13, he says, be at peace among yourselves. And then again, verse 23, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. See, what was uh, probably going on in this church is given they were facing persecution from the outside, the natural temptation would be to turn against each other in quarreling and disorder and a lack of peace. And instead, of course, what they need to do is hold together. Uh, so they can look after each other and stand together in a difficult time. And so Paul is uh, asking and urging uh, that they would have uh, this peace in their community. And in particular, he gives uh, instructions about what the congregation, how the congregation is to approach its leaders, and then how the leaders are to approach the congregation, and then how everyone uh, the a attitude that everyone is to have together. So first of all, the, the attitude and the way of approaching uh, the congregation uh, towards its leaders uh, is verses 12 and 13. So Paul writes this, we ask you, so this is the asking, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So what is he asking? Well, he's asking that they respect, first of all. Uh, that word respect is the same word that is translated know elsewhere in this letter. And so it connects this theme of living in the light of, of what we know. Um, but uh, the word uh, know has in the original uh, an idea in it of seeing. So it's knowledge in the sense of we would say in English, oh, I see now. I understand. I get it. I see and this is actually a brilliant translation, respect, because respect also has the idea of seeing in it uh, etymologically in its, in its kind of uh, genesis, in its idea. And what Paul is saying is that we are to respect those, uh, our leaders, in the sense of we're to look up to them, we're to regard them, we're to respect them. So that's... Uh, uh, what he's asking, that we respect. Who are we to respect? Those who labor among you. The word labor has the idea of hard work in it. It is toil. It's the kind of work that means you get a sweat. It's that kind of work. Hard manual labor. It's work. And, of course, this sort of pastoral ministry, pastors and elders in, in the church, this kind of pastoral ministry, therefore, Paul is saying, is labor. It's hard work. It's toil. And it's actually one of Paul's, it's actually one of Paul's characteristic words for pastoral work. He, he talks about it with uh, Timothy, his protege, Timothy. It's labor. 
It's work. It's sweat. And pastoral leadership is, is, if not manual labor that produces a physical sweat, it is spiritually and emotionally labor. It's hard work. And these are people uh, that Paul was saying that were to respect those who labor among you. They're working hard among you. Who are they? They are over you in the Lord. So they're the leaders. They're over us in the Lord. It's a great myth that the ideal of a Christian community is a sort of total, um, unstructured Uh, lacking in hierarchy, democracy. That's not the New Testament ideal. In the New Testament, there are leaders and there are the led. And uh, these are people who are over us in the Lord. Um, They are above us. They are leaders. And um, leadership of a, a local congregation to those who, have lead, who are in leadership positions. It's a thoroughly biblical idea. But note how Paul puts it. They are over you in the Lord. So the model of leadership is in Jesus. It's not uh, a dictatorship. Uh, it's not bullying. It's not aggressive. The model is Jesus, obviously strong. Uh, Jesus was strong. Uh, look at his attitude to the Pharisees and how he, um, uh, in many different parts of his ministry, you can see his strength. But he was also kind and gentle. He was not a bully. He was not um, going around pushing people about. He was a servant. That's Jesus' model, isn't it? Service. And so those who are over us in the Lord are to serve us like Jesus did. They're in the Lord. And of course, they're in the Lord in the sense that the only one who really is in charge in the church is Jesus. And their authority is in Him. Uh, They're over us in the Lord. We all have um, those over us. I too am accountable. I have uh, people who are over me in the Lord. And there is a structure in a New Testament biblical church of leadership. This is who we are to respect, those who labor among us, who are over in the Lord, and Paul says, who admonish you. Now, in English, the word admonish tends to have mainly a negative sense in in terms of how it is currently used, at least. If someone came up to you and said, I'm going to admonish you, you would assume he was going to correct you. But this idea has correction in it, but also instruction. And so these are people who are teaching. It's a pastoral uh, leadership, pastors and elders, those who are teaching. They're instructing and correcting, admonishing. This is uh, the attitude we're to have to those who are over us in the Lord, who are teaching us and correcting us or admonishing us. And we are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, work with, uh, think with me about that mental picture here. Uh, we are to have an attitude to those who are over us in the Lord of esteem. So that's even higher than respect. Uh, 
not just looking up to, but esteeming them, and not just esteeming them, but very highly. Uh, In love, there's an affectionate element to it because of their work, because of their labor. So this uh, is all about how a congregation has peace in the midst of external pressure in its, the way it relates to each one another. And the first part that Paul is asking is that the congregation as a whole have this attitude that he's just outlined here towards its leaders. Now, of course, we need then to hold up a mirror to ourselves. Uh, is this the way um, we treat those who lead us? And of course, it's a slightly tricky thing for me to apply because obviously I'm a a pastor here. Um, But let me put it like this. If I took an informal survey of uh, all my friends who are in pastoral ministry across the country um, uh, and I asked them, so this is outside of College Church, makes it a little easier, I guess, for us to process. Obviously, I could do a survey of my friends and pastors and elders here. But if we put it outside the local church here, And I did an informal survey of my friends in pastoral ministry in local churches across America, and I asked them, do you feel that you are respected and esteemed very highly? I I can guarantee you that 99% of them would reply, no. And they might have like smiley emoticons when I replied. Like, are you kidding? And, of course, the reason for this is um, uh, multiple in our culture today, but the pastoral role, uh, the pastor and elder, uh, is not viewed as something that is particularly hard anymore. It's not really viewed as a, an expertise and a labor. Um, after all, we all go to church. Uh, we've led a Bible study or two. We've read a book about church. How hard can it be? That's the attitude. And of course we expect it, those in pastoral roles or eldership roles, expect it of the society at large. I remember when I was back in London a few years ago and I was in some club, of a sort of elite club in the middle of London and we just heard a talk from a baroness and there was like 20 of us in the room and after we'd heard this talk we were all sharing with each other about what each other were doing in terms of their career and this person is professor of psychology over here and this person is a business leader here and this person's a lawyer here and they look at me and ask me what I do and I say I'm a senior pastor of a large American church and you know you can just imagine that went down like a lead balloon. But we expect that outside the church. Um, but within the church, Paul is saying, our attitude is to be respect and very high esteem. But uh, having said that, Paul also has something he wants to say uh, to the leaders. So we ask, asking, and then urging. This is now to the leaders and their approach to the people they're leading. And this goes from verses 14 to 15. So he says this, And we urge you, brothers, now talking to the pastors and elders, I think, the leaders, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Again, admonish has in it, remember, teaching and correction. Uh, The idle, the word there isn't just focused on lazy, like we think of when we hear the word idle. Um, it, It has the idea of 
those who are undisciplined. The picture is of a military formation uh, and those who are not lined up with the, the tactics in that military formation. And so what Paul is saying here is that part of the role of pastoral leadership is to teach and correct or admonish those who are disordered, who are out of line, and to teach them how to come back into line. So to admonish the idol, uh, that is to give more discipline to those who are undisciplined. But discipline isn't what everyone needs. I want you to notice here how careful Paul is to break down the different categories in the congregation. Uh, Like a doctor doesn't give the same medicine to everyone. Similarly, those who are pastors and elders shouldn't give the same spiritual medicine to everyone. So while the idle or the undisciplined need discipline, um, that's not what the faint-hearted need. So he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted are those who are soul-weak. They are emotionally or mentally um, uh, not solid. Well, someone like that doesn't need more discipline. What they need is encouragement. So we, yes, we admonish the idol, but we encourage the faint-hearted. Many people need to be encouraged today. Just a simple word of encouragement. You can do it. I'm with you. Let's go. Some encouragement. But then there's another category too, which is the weak. You're to help the weak. Uh, The weak is both emotionally and physically weak. Well, those who are weak don't need discipline and they don't need encouragement. If someone is physically weak, what they need is help. There's no good going up to someone who um, can't, hasn't got enough money to buy themselves uh, food for the week and just give them a word of encouragement. That's not what they need. What they need is practical help. And part of the role of a, of a Christian leader is to ensure that the weak are helped. And uh, having then sort of broken down the different categories in the congregation, he then says, okay, but there's something that everyone needs. And what everyone needs is patience. Be patient with them all. We all need uh, patience towards us. And then he says, well, here's something that you need to be careful about. See that no one repays anyone for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In other words, in a, in a community that is quite intimate and you get to know people over years, it's possible that hurt feelings can build up. And what Paul is saying is part of the role of a pastor or eldership team is to ensure that those who have hurt feelings don't take it out on the person who they view as having hurt them, but instead do good. To that person. Be kind. Bless that person. So once again, we need to hold up a bit of a mirror to ourselves. Having held up a mirror to how um, we treat those who are over us in the Lord, we also need to hold up a mirror in terms of how uh, we're doing those who are called to admonish and encourage and help and be patient uh, with those that they're leading. And uh, so how are we doing this regard? We sent out a discipleship uh, survey uh, last uh, year, and it's fascinating reading. Uh, it, it shows, at least in terms of those who filled it, which filled it out, which isn't everyone, but it's a portion of the congregation, 
that there seems to be a sense that, that in terms of cognitive understanding, people are getting the Bible teaching and they're cognitively getting it, but there's a gap in terms of actual practical doing it. And so I suppose, how are we doing with uh, bringing discipline to those who are lacking tactics? I guess we're doing okay, but we could be doing better. Uh, how are we doing with encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, uh, being patient with them all? I think we are a reasonably encouraging place, but I think we could increase that. We want people to feel like they come here and they're encouraged, those who are um, feeling broken. And we want the person who really is weak, who perhaps even physically is sick, uh, to have a ministry from the, uh, from the leaders to them. And I think we do that reasonably well. How are we doing in terms of patience uh, with everyone? I, I wonder. I, I, I think that there can be a feeling that at Cottage Church you need to be an expert and that if you admit you don't understand something, how patient will be people be with you? And so we, we probably need to grow there too. Actually, we want to be patient with everyone and not assume that uh, if you're only at stage one of the Christian life, there's something wrong with you if you're not yet at stage ten. But no, there's a process, and it takes time, the maturing process, and we're going to be patient. And so I think there are ways we can grow there too as we hold up a mirror uh, to the, uh, the pastors and elders in relation to the congregation. But then Paul uh, thinks of us all. You remember he's, he's, he's asking and urging that there will be this peace in the corrugation, and now he turns to us all, and this is from verse 16 to the end. And when you look at these instructions, they can seem like they're a bit of a list of random instructions, but actually there's a thread that runs all the way through them, and I'm going to try and show you what that thread is. So first of all, he says, rejoice always. And what a good reminder. The Christian life is a life of joy, and there is always reason to rejoice even when we're under pressure from outside or whatever it is, there's a reason to rejoice. But of course, the question is, well, how? And so he immediately, here's the thread, he immediately then says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So the one who is um, praying much will find they have much about which to rejoice. Why? Because when you pray, you're more likely to see the hand of God at work and therefore have something about which to give thanks, and therefore to rejoice. So the way to grow in joy is to grow in prayer. And as you grow in prayer, you'll grow in giving thanks. There's always something about which to give thanks. However bad things may be, they could be worse. And we can always give thanks uh, as a Christian because we know that God loves us and He's with us and He's going to take us home. Um, and then he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, this spirit of joyful thanksgiving is a hallmark of what it means to be a Christian. And then he, he carries on to say, do not quench the spirit, because of course joy is a part of the fruit of the spirit. And so you can see the thread of his thought. Do not quench the spirit. How are we not to quench the spirit? He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. 
What does Paul mean here by prophecies? Well, it's a long conversation, um, but I am not one of those Bible teachers who thinks that the Bible teaches that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I do not think the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have ceased. I think they're still operational today. I think they're often misunderstood, often mispracticed, but I I don't think the Bible teaches the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have ceased. But here, in this passage, I think that Paul's almost certainly, when he uses the word prophecy here, or do not despise prophecies, he's almost certainly talking about what we call preaching. And the reason for that, I'll show you in a moment as we go through this. So what Paul is saying is, don't quench the Spirit, that is, uh, don't uh, despise uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And preaching isn't just a cold running through of a passage. like It's actually uh, the work of the Spirit, that God is speaking through preaching. So we're not to despise uh, the work of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God through His Word. But also we're not to be naive, he says, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So our attitude is not to be cynical and resistant and like, yeah, I know better. Um, We're to be receiving what God is saying to us through uh, the prophecies, the the preaching, as I think this is what Paul is primarily meaning here. But nor are we to be naive, we're to test it, we're to search the Scriptures and see whether what is being said is truly from God's Word, and then to hold on to what is from God's Word and, uh, and learn from that and take that on board. And then he says, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, every um, appearance of evil, he's thinking now, I think, of our witness. Uh, make sure that we don't even go anywhere close to any kind of evil. And then he comes back to peace. You remember I was saying this this peace and peaceful order is the key theme of this closing as he thinks of this unity and love and peaceful order of the congregation and he blesses the the congregation now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because the the coming of Jesus is, is one of the key themes of the book And then he says, very encouragingly, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So if you're thinking to yourself, I cannot keep on going, that's never the issue. The issue is not whether you can keep on going, the issue is that God will keep on going. So the issue is not your faith, the issue is the one in whom you have faith. And God, who calls you, he's faithful, and he will surely do it. And then Paul says, uh, um, brothers, pray for us. What an example that is for all of us. Paul is never one to avoid an opportunity to ask others to pray for him. Uh, We need each other's prayers, and preachers need the prayers of the congregation, and no one is, gets to a point where they're so mature they don't need people to pray for them. If the Apostle Paul asks for prayer. 
And then he says, uh, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Well, what does he mean by this? So that the kiss in the ancient world uh, was uh, the kiss of a family greeting. So in the ancient world, when you got together with your family, you gave them a kiss on the cheek. And that was how family greeted each other. And it probably isn't how most American families greet each other with a kiss on the cheek, I would guess. Um, but some cultures, that still is true. Uh, but uh, what Paul's talking about here is the, the greeting of the family. You remember now, this is about all the church, all the brothers and sisters greet each other with a holy kiss. That is uh, a, a godly uh, kiss of the family. And then in terms of application, what it means is that as a congregation, the way we greet each other is we're to greet each other like family greets each other. And uh, perhaps in non-COVID times, that's a handshake. Maybe it's a side hug uh, in non-COVID times. It's different in different cultures. Um, Our family, when we get together, we don't shake hands. We give each other a hug. Uh, Americans seem to shake hands all the time, from at least in non-COVID terms, from a British point of view. In British culture, you shake hands when you meet someone, and you shake hands when you're saying goodbye. But in American culture, it feels to the British person, we're always shaking hands. It's like, okay, we'll shake hands again. Um, But so different, I'm just saying that, different cultures have different ways of greeting. And all Paul's saying here is the way we greet each other is to be like a family. Because church is a family. And then he says, uh, verse 27, this is why I think when I said the prophecies is mainly about preaching here. It's because verse 27, he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So Paul has in his mind here the teaching of, of the New Testament as it's come to us now, his writings, and he's very firm with the congregation. I put you under oath that you would read the Bible and then, of course, have it explained. And so the heart of Christian worship is the reading of the Scriptures. And uh, we need, therefore, to have the Bible read and explained as we gather together and worship. And then Paul concludes in his characteristic way, as he's been emphasizing uh, now at the end, uh, the peaceful order that we're to have uh, with one another through how we are to treat our leaders and how our leaders to treat each other and the joy that we're to have as a congregation in all circumstances, he then concludes, uh, characteristically, Paul, the apostle of grace, he writes finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do uh, thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that we uh, can have it read in our own language. And uh, we um, praise you for that. And this morning, Lord, as we look at this final part of uh, the letter, we, we pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is at peace with each other because we have the God of peace at work within us. And, uh, Lord, we pray in particular, therefore, that we will be a congregation that has this attitude to its leaders of respect and esteem, even very highly in love. Uh, 
And we pray, Lord, that uh, the leaders, the pastors and elders, uh, would have uh, this approach to the congregation of careful uh, delivery of spiritual medicine to different people as, as needed, to discipline for those who are indisciplined, uh, encouragement for the faint-hearted, help for the weak, patience with everyone. And we pray, Lord, that we as a congregation would have you, the God of peace, rule in our hearts and minds, that we would therefore be a place of joy and your word, Lord, will be central to all we do. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Our friends, uh, would you stand with me and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. That the whole earth might see his salvation and all nations his glory. And all God's people said.